Well, you're in store for another great blessing. Was that good this morning or what? Dr. Cope Ranger, Dr. E.V. Hill from Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles. He once said, now, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> and if that doesn't ring your bell, your clapper is broken. Well, my fire was burning this morning and my bell was ringing, Carl. Thank you, brother, for that great, great message this morning. It was wonderful. Appreciate you so much. And it's good to have you and Miss Laurie here. Well, you're in store for a blessing now. And just uh, get ready for the next. We're going to turn the page here. And we got one of God's favorites coming in to share with us. June Evans has been such a part of our ministry and Gene over the years. And June has been such a key partner in CBU and a part of CBU, a division of ministry called Women of the Word that we launched many years ago that grew and is still going today, but grew into a large ministry that's touched literally thousands of women throughout this country and, and in, in Europe, in, in England. Uh, but um, anyway, it's been a joy to, to be with June and to appreciate her giftings and anointings and abilities. June always takes a little uh, advantage of the fact Jean is never around in her sessions and uses him as an example and says some things about him. And, and I just, uh, you know, I, I, and, and I will say at the conference, one of these days I'm going to have Gene Evans come to these, one of these conferences and, and give you the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. But June and Jean have been mightily used of the Lord individually and, and together as a couple to touch thousands of people as pastors, as key leaders in the body of Christ. And Jean uh, not only is a very successful and anointed pastor, but leads a ministerial organization as president of a network of churches and ministries uh, uh, that uh, uh, God is just using our uh, Jean in such a powerful way in these days, uh, speaking into the lives of leaders and pastors. So, you know, today in, with, Gene, with June coming and Gene being here, I just felt like it's Gene's turn. So Gene's gonna come up and introduce June to you. <laughs> Don't you think that's hey! right? <laughs> come on, Brother Gene. Now, we want the truth, brother. Lay it on. This is your shot. But nothing but the truth. We're going to straighten some of these stories out. But since I don't have time, I would like to say that I've known June most of her life. We, we got married uh, in 1959, met at the University of Alabama, met on a blind date. Her roommate dated my roommate, so we got together. I took her to, to the Jungle Club. I bet you don't know she's that kind of woman. <laughs> and then we had such a good time, she laughed at all my jokes. I thought, well, I think I'll call her up and take her to a movie. So I called her up and took her to the movie. And when we got back from the movie, she kind of backed me in the corner and said, what are your intentions? <laughs> and I thought I was just going to take you to the movie. But six months later, we're married. We've been married now for... 55 years, thank God. June was born again as a teenager, 17 years old in the East Gadsden Methodist Church. 
she was in the choir loft and the Lord started dealing with her and she walked out of the choir loft and wound up in front of the pastor and it scared him. He jumped back and thought, what do you want down here? And she didn't know what she wanted, so the only thing she could think of was she'd be a missionary to Africa. The thing she hated to do is what she thought she'd have to do to please God, but uh, about a month later, the Lord really spoke to her through a teacher that God had called her to be a teacher. And I believe, as her husband, I can safely say that she's one of the greatest teachers that I've ever heard expound on the Word of God. I know that after she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1969, God spoke to her that he did not call her to be a public teacher, but she was to teach the Bible. And she was going to start by teaching the Bible in, in our home. And so then the Lord said, you can't invite anybody. And she thought, how are we going to have a Bible study with nobody invited? And, uh, but she obeyed God, did not invite anybody. The day before the Bible study was to start, a lady called her and said, what are you doing tomorrow? And June said, well, I'm teaching a Bible study in my home. She said, I didn't know you had a Bible study in your home. She said, well, I do. And she said, well, can I bring some friends over? And she said, you're quite welcome. And that's how her Bible study started for over 10 years. She taught a Bible study in our home with over 70 women coming every week. People got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I like uh, what our uh, speaker said in the early service. People from every denomination came to that Bible study and were touched by God and the power of the Holy Spirit moving through June Evans. You're in treat for today. Let's give her a welcome as she comes. June Evans. Well, he said that just like we practiced in the room last night. <laughs> we kind of had a word about that, Jim, and we practiced this. So. Thank you, Jean, and thank you, Jim. Uh, it, it is a blessing to be here. I recently had the privilege of celebrating a birthday. I celebrated on March the 16th my 75th birthday. <laughs> 75 years old. On the day of my birthday, Jean and I were having breakfast together, and Jean looked across the table, and he said, you are a pretty old woman. I didn't know whether to slap him or hug him, uh, but I guess I have graduated from being a senior citizen to an old woman. And there are some advantages to being old. Uh, I went to a website. I thought, since I'm old, I need to know some advantages. And I read that these are the advantages of being old. Number one, the kidnappers no longer want you. They, they are not after you. Secondly, in a hostage situation, you will always be one of the first ones released. They will let you go with the children. Nobody expects you to run into a burning building and rescue anybody. You can just stay outside and pray. Your friends uh, will guard your secrets because they're either dead or they can't remember your secrets. <laughs> so your secrets are finally safe. Uh, it also said you, your children ignore you and you lose interest in sex. We'll just pass over that and leave that for another time and another uh, lesson. You men won't appreciate this, but girls get to wear pants 
slacks with elastic waistbands and not feel guilty. And God gives you free tattoos. They're called aid spots. So don't run out and get a tattoo. God will tattoo you at the end of your life. I went to my nail salon, a little 20-year-old Vietnamese girl was working on my nails, and she told me I had beautiful hands. And I said, honey, thank you, but the, these are not beautiful hands. These are hands of an old woman. I said, I have my mother's veins, and I said, I've got all these little brown age spots on them. And she said, oh, in my country, my mother says, the more age spots you have, the longer you will live. I said, well, I've got a long life ahead of me then because I am a great white speckled bird. That's who I am. And then she looked up at me and studied my face. And she said, oh, you will live to be 100. And I said, you think I will? She said, absolutely. In my country, they say the bigger your ears, the longer you live, and you're going to live a long time. A long time. Well, it is a privilege to say that I have been in a long relationship with CBU and that I have been in a long relationship with Jim Jackson and the staff here. I love CBU. CBU calls and I answer. Thank you. Jim, Tom, for having me here today. Uh, some of you won't know this, but Jim will know this. I think I've been with you through five hair colors. Is that right? I think I started as a blonde. He remembers me as a redhead. I had five different hair colors. So that's been a long time. And certainly, as Jean said to you, uh, I, I've had a, a long history with the Lord Jesus Christ and with his kingdom. Uh, as he told you, I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. So that means I have walked with the Lord and the Holy Spirit for 60 years. I have been baptized with the Holy Spirit for 45 years. So I do have longevity with God. By the grace of God, I have been able to walk that path and to stay in step with the Lord. And now I come to these latter years of my life and the real prayer in my heart is that what I began back here at age 15 involving my life with the kingdom and with the kingdom purposes of God that I will be able to cross the finish line. That he who has begun a good work will finish what he began. Back there is a 15-year-old and then it's a 30-year-old uh, woman when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And for my, my purposes today, I want to speak very personally to you about my involvement with the kingdom of God in this present culture and in this, this present time. Jesus said in teaching us to pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. So when we involve our lives with the kingdom, we are involving our lives with the will of God being done in the earth 
as it is being done in heaven. We are aligning ourselves with that which is heavenly. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, seek ye only the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, so this, this principle uh, of uh, the kingdom of God is our involvement with the will of God, and we are to be actively seeking that, that his kingdom would come by allowing his will to be done in our lives. Now, religiously, we always get very excited when we talk about the will of God being done. I remember in our Methodist church, I was born into a Methodist family, and I spent my early years attending the Methodist church with my mom, and all of my grandmothers were there. Uh, I was born again in the Methodist church and remained a Methodist uh, the first 30 years of my life. And we Methodists would sing that old hymn, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And we would just sing that, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then when I was 30 years old, the Lord began to have his own way and baptized some of us in the Holy Spirit. And the Methodists got mad because God showed up and had his own way. Now, I wonder this morning if we sung, Have thine own way, Lord, how many of us would be upset? If God shows up and has his own way, it's a real good hymn, but when you have to live it out, it's a little bit differently. So we have to understand that when we come to this thing called the kingdom, that we're involved in something that is much bigger than we are. And for my purposes today, I want to talk with you about how to follow and be involved with divine activity. Because it's one thing to be Christian. It's one thing to be filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, but it is another thing to keep step with God, to be able to walk with God from a beginning to an end to be able to testify at the end of our lives as the Apostle Paul testified, I have finished a course and I kept the faith and I fought the fight. And in order to do that, we have to keep step with God. We have to know what God is doing in his will and then we have to be able to walk in step with the Lord. That is where it becomes very personal for each one of us. Keeping step with God and walking in unity with the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I watched the Olympic Games in February and I was quite interested that the ice dancing team from the United States won the gold medal. And I watched these kids skate together and they both jumped at the same time, did triple axles at the same time, landed on their skates at the same time. They did things called the twizzles at the same time, and they're turning 
uh, in unison together. And after they won the gold medal, they were interviewed, and they said, we have been skating together for 17 years. And how many know to skate together, uh, you have to work at it? I've been married 55 years. It took us a while to skate together. Uh, it, it just didn't happen automatically. And we cannot come to, to these subjects, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in the earth without understanding. We have to know how to flow with divine activity, how to be in step with what God is doing. Otherwise, if we're not in step with what God is doing, we're just having a religious service here if we cannot be in step with what God himself has ordained. Now, I, I'm not going to use this as an example uh, theologically. I'm just going to use this as an example uh, of divine activity, which illustrates the problem we have with divine activity. The prophet Ezekiel was a captive in Babylon, and God was going to use this man to, to see visions and to prophesy. And he was really in a kind of negative place in his life, and God began to show him something beyond where he was. And the first vision that Ezekiel had was of the government of God. And he, he spoke about four cherubims, and he spoke about a throne, and then he spoke about wheels within a wheel. And the wheels reached to heaven and came to the earth. And to me, it, was, it is a picture of divine activity that the government of God is over the earth today. I don't care what the news broadcasters say, God is at work in the world and his government is supreme, even in the midst of the negative. And these, these wheels were churning. And it said there was a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And to me, that wheel within the wheel represents my life. That I have put my life within a bigger wheel that is turning. And I have to stay in that activity of the turning. Uh, and sometimes when wheels are turning, you're upside down, you're sideways, bottom side up. But the good news is if you can stay in the wheel, you'll always be on course. You may not understand everything, but you will be able to flow with what God is doing. Now, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 12, says this, speaking about this, this vision. It says, and they went every one straight forward. I want you to hear that. They went straight forward. Even though wheels were turning, there was a direction that was established, and it was straight forward. Whether the Spirit wanted them to go, they went, and they did not turn when they went. And that is a very vivid picture to me of divine activity, that God himself has one direction, 
and that direction is forward. God is not a retreater. God is not a maintainer. God does not reconstruct. God is always moving straight forward. And we read the stories in the Bible, and we will understand that. When God's program collapsed in Eden, God did not go back and try to do it all over again with another couple. But rather, he spoke a prophetic word and moved forward. He was moving forward. So we must understand that God is not trying to maintain what we have. God is not trying to reconstruct something, but God is always moving forward, building upon what he's done in the past. Uh, Isaiah said it this way, line upon line and precept upon precept. That, That God lays foundations and then he moves forward from that. Haggai 2, verse 9, says the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. Now this says to me, God had a former house. And that God moved on, the former house was good, the former house was foundational, but God is moving on to a latter house. And so we understand the moving of God. And he has one direction. It is straight forward. Now when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage, uh, they, they had to travel. They had to journey. They had a destiny to fulfill. And, and we understand that we, like Israel, have a journey. We have a destiny. We have, we have some place to go. It is called the good work of God. He who has begun will finish it. And in Exodus 14, verse 13, and then verse 15, there, there are kind of two uh, opposite things that are said here. The Israelites had come to the Red Sea they, they needed to get to the other side of the sea, the, the promised land, and they were trapped. Pharaoh's armies were pursuing them. They could not cross the waters. And in Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses said, Stand still and see the salvation of God. And then two verses later, God speaks through Moses and says, Go forward. So here are two things we have to understand about the activity of God. Number one, it requires us to stand still and it requires God to take us forward. And we have to let God drive the ship. We cannot mess with God's affairs. We cannot put our thumbprint on what God wants done. Because in kingdom principles... There are a lot of details that I don't know. There are a lot of things that I can't figure out. If I try to get God to do what I want him to do, I'm just bringing God down to my level. And God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all I ask or think. So God is trying to do something which is beyond me. 
and it requires me to stand still and then God to take me forward. Now the problem we have with, with God's stuff is details just drive us crazy because we want to know those details. We want to know the hows and the whys and the whens and details will keep you awake at night. Details will just keep you fretting. Details will cause you to go to a lot of counseling sessions and to be in a lot of prayer lines and conferences. Now, my dad was a big detail person. Dad just fretted over details. Dad didn't get born again until he was 72, and my husband led him to the Lord and so dad and mom decided that they would leave Alabama where they'd lived all of their lives and move to South Georgia to be near Gene and me. Now as soon as dad arrived, he's in his 70s, dad started fretting about details. And he came to me one day and he said, well, I've been thinking about it. And he said, uh, I call the funeral home. And I said, Dad, what are you thinking about and why would you call the funeral home? Now, Dad's issue was this. In Alabama, our family, the Cap family, has, has a cemetery plot. Do you know what that means? We have a tombstone with the Cap's name. And Dad's cemetery lots were in that, that plot. His mother, his daddy were there. And Mom and Dad had cemetery lots. And Daddy said, now I'm in South Georgia, and I've been thinking about when I'm going to die. And I called the funeral home, and they're going to charge me $500 to take my dead body back to Alabama in a hearse. And Dad said, I don't want to pay the funeral home $500. And I said, well, Dad, how do you think we're going to get your dead body back to Alabama if you're not willing to pay them $500? He said, well, I've been thinking about it. Now, this is a true story. Gene tell you, I'm not embellishing this. He was part of it. Dad said, well, I thought Gene, my husband, could just throw me in the back of the van and take me over there for free. I said, Dad, I think it's against the law to transport dead bodies across state lines. I said, I think they could stop Gene and arrest him. He said, nobody will know I'm in there. I said, Dad, by the time we clean you up and get you over there, and if you die in the summertime, you are going to stink like Lazarus in the grave. And Dad said, well, maybe you're right. So Dad comes back, and several days later, said, well, I think you're right. I, I shouldn't just be thrown in the back of a van. I said, well, good. He said, I thought about this. Maybe Gene could sit me up in the back seat and belt me in and put a baseball cap on. <laughs> and maybe nobody will even know I'm dead. I said, Daddy, just forget about it. Just forget about it. We'll figure it out. So then a few years later, Dad's on his deathbed. And I'm standing beside him and they're telling us Daddy's going to die. Now, Dad had gotten saved under my husband, but he didn't like us charismatics. 
He said, we preached too long. We sang too much. He didn't like the tongues part. He didn't think there, you know, we need to cast out devils, all that stuff charismatics did. But he loved us. And he had asked Gene to preach his funeral. So he's dying, and I'm standing there by him watching him die. He raises his head up off the bed. says, who's preaching my funeral? And I said, Gene is, Daddy. He said, well, good, I want him to. I said, he is. Lays his head back down. A couple of hours later, raises his head up again and said, who's preaching my funeral? I said, Daddy, Gene is. He said, I want my Methodist pastor to say a few words. I said, we've already invited him. He's going to say a few words. A couple of hours later, his head comes up again. Who is preaching my funeral? I said, Daddy, Gene is preaching your funeral. He said, well, for goodness sakes, tell him, make it short and sweet. Don't give me these long sermons. <laughs> I said, Daddy, why don't you just die? That's all we want you to do is die, Daddy. Just die, die. We just want you to die and let us have the funeral, Daddy. Let us plan the funeral. So if you're going to work with kingdom today, you got to quit bringing your head up off the pillow and saying, how's it going to work? How are we going to do this? I want it this way. I want it that way. Because God is standing over you today and he's saying, die, die, die to what you want, you think, you feel. And let God's big wheel work out the details. Because we can get so involved with the details that we forget that God is in charge of his kingdom and his wheel will move forward. Now, in 1 Samuel 16, 1, we find a second thing about kingdom activity. One is it has one direction, straight forward, and the wheel is driven by God. 1 Samuel 16, 1, speaking about David, being anointed to be the king over Israel, it says here, God speaking, I have provided me a king among his sons. God spoke this to the prophet. I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, in, in flowing with, with God's activity, we have to understand that God makes choices. Uh, you have heard the speakers before me talk about how we have been chosen. God makes choices among us. And it is a, a kingdom choice. God, God said to the prophet, I have provided me a king. There was already a king on the throne. It was Saul, but God couldn't do anything with Saul, so he provided for himself a king, a king who would be after his own heart. And you remember the story of David's choice that, that David's father had many sons, and they all assumed the, the firstborn son was the best choice. 
They all assumed this eldest son would be the boy that God would choose. Because at this point in his life, David is just a, a young kind of teenage boy. And he's out in his daddy's shepherd field. He's watching his daddy's sheep. He's not even lined up with the other six brothers. And God looks at that and he said, I have provided me a king. And when God chooses us, it is not because of our benefit. It is because we have come to the kingdom at such a time as this. And God needs people who can meet his needs. Sometimes we're so focused on our needs, we forget that God needs us. God needs us to be healthy. God needs us to be whole. God needs us involved. So I have provided me. And these are the, the choices of God. And in following God in kingdom activity, God will often do things that do not make good sense to our thinking. Sometimes God will, will seem to do things that we look at it and say, uh, this isn't the way that I thought it would work. This isn't the way I think it should work. But we have to step back and realize that God knows things we don't know. God is looking at the whole picture. I heard someone uh, describe it this way. It would be like viewing a parade. And you and I are right here in 2014, and we only see what's coming in front of us. And God is in the heavens, and he sees from the beginning, Eden, till the end. And he has a perspective. He has a view. See, the Republicans and the Democrats may not know what's going to happen, but God knows what's going to happen. And he is providing for his kingdom purposes. And we have to back away and we have to let God be God and we have to let God make choice among us because our choices are, are rather carnal. Our choices can be prejudicial. Uh, we tend to make choices based upon what pleases us. We choose the people we like. Uh, you know, we're, ju we're just sort of a, a skewed vision here. And we have to step back and flow with the choices of God. Now, we're the grandparents of six grandchildren. And one night, my two sons and their wives and the grandchildren uh, were in our home, and we're going to dinner. And we have decided that we're going to eat at a Japanese restaurant where they cook in front of you. Do you get the picture, you know, the tables, and they cook in front of you? So, you know, that's been decided. We, we, the adults consulted, that's our choice. Now, the grandchildren ride in the car with granddad and me, and as soon as we get in the automobile, from the back of the car, we hear, Granddaddy, Grandma, we don't want to go to the Japanese restaurant. We want to go to... Chuck E. Cheese. Do you know what Chuck E. Cheese is? Now, I tell people, if you want to get people saved, take them to Chuck E. Cheese and say, this is what hell is like, and they will get saved. 
Chuck E. Cheese is hell, Dr. Coke. It's hell. Hell on earth. Spend lots of money, crying kids, mad, mad parents, bad food, big rats, little machines that eat up money, and you get nothing in return. It's not even worth a dime. It's hell on earth. Now, as we said to the grandchildren, we're not going to Chuck E. Cheese, we're going to the Japanese restaurant. Already decided. And please, Grandma, please, Granddaddy, please, 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 no, no, it's already decided. Then all of a sudden, Chuck E. Cheese comes in view. We're going to go right by Chuck E. Cheese. The six of them started going, Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese. Please, 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 Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese, please, please, please. And Granddad and I are saying, you don't want to go to Chuck E. Cheese, it's hell on earth. <laughs> and I think sometimes the big wheel of God comes around and we get inside the wheel and we're all saying, Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck E. Cheese. God's saying, you don't want Chuck E. Cheese, it's hell on earth. And we have to let God make choices. See, we have to let God set us. It's not enough to be saved. We must be set where God wants us to be set. Because God has provided us. I want you to understand that. There is a culture. We are in the middle of a huge crisis in modern America. The family is disintegrating before our very eyes. And we are the answer to that. Uh, we, we need couples like Jean and me that have been around 55 years married. Jean and I were going on a 50th wedding anniversary uh, overseas. And I was in a mall shopping in Atlanta where we live. And these, this girl said to me, uh, where are you going? I said, well, I'm celebrating my 50th wedding anniversary. She was shocked. She said, I've never met anybody that had been married 50 years. They actually called people over to meet me. <laughs> and they wanted to know how I could be married to one man for 50 years. And I, I got to tell them, it, it's by God. Amen. We have a culture that has to be reached. It's not about us enjoying ourselves in this room, people. There is a culture that has to be reached. There are kids out there that need to know what I know and what you know. Amen. They need some wisdom from old people Amen. who've been around and done God a long time because they, they do not know these people. So to flow with kingdom activity, we're going forward, and you have to let God choose for you. You have to get outside of your religious boxes and let God put you within his wheel of activity. And when you do that, then life uh, starts being this flow. All of a sudden, that reason for which you were created becomes evident. And you become part of something which is much bigger than you. One Sunday morning, I was in a city, and I was going to speak in a church. And I was in a hotel, and I looked at my watch, and I thought, oh, it's time for me to go to the lobby, and when I stood up, I felt very funny. I didn't feel sickly. I, I felt like I was unsteady. 
like I was sort of this way, and I, I grabbed hold of a table, and I was just sort of, I thought, well, something's wrong with me. And, and I started walking, and I felt unsteady. I go down to the lobby, and there's a woman waiting for me, and she says, how are you? And I shared that with her. So now we're in her automobile going to the church, and she is an intercessor. She's driving with one hand and waving the other hand over me. She's binding, she's loosing, she's casting in, she's casting out, praying in English, praying in tongues. And she said to me, how are you doing? I said, I'm good, I'm good, keep praying. Just feel good. I get to the church, the usher opens the door, I step out, and there it is again. I thought, what is wrong with me? So I said to this usher, I'd like to go to the ladies' room before I go into the auditorium, the sanctuary. And he pointed me to the ladies' room. Now, I'm in the ladies' room doing what you do in the ladies' room. And I look down, and I see my feet, and I have my shoes on the wrong feet. <laughs> my toes are sticking up out of my shoes, and... They look deformed, my feet look deformed, and I'll tell you, the minute I put my shoes on the right feet, I got healed of that funny <laughs> feeling I had. I didn't feel dizzy anymore, I just got steady, I just got stable, and I walked in great anointing into that sanctuary. And I think sometimes God's people have got their shoes on the wrong feet. You're not doing what God has created you to do. I'm telling you, if you'll get involved with kingdom activity, the power of God will come into your life. And you will find a security. You will find a power that, that is not there before. Now, the third thing about kingdom activity, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God might be of God and not of us. Not of us. Now we have to be careful in dealing with kingdom things that it doesn't become about us. Because it's very selfish for us to think about us. If we're not careful, we'll do what Israel did in the wilderness. Uh, they rejected what God had chosen, and they made their golden calf. They did it their own way, and they worshipped what they had done. And I always have to look beyond me. I have to look beyond what I want and what I enjoy, what I think ought to be, and I have to look to kingdom purposes because the kingdom is bigger than just me. Uh, God is highly interested in me, but God wants my life to count for his purposes, and I cannot make it about me. I have to be willing to step into a place sometimes that is not comfortable. I have to be willing uh, to go beyond what I would desire. Sometimes there may be things that go on that, that may not really uh, ding my bell, so to speak. But all of that is part of kingdom purposes. 
And I have found this about God, that God is always on, on a forward motion. And I have to understand that in that, that there are methods that God uses. And a lot of those methods reached me. I was reached by God as a 30-year-old woman, and there were things in that, the methods of God. But now I, <clears throat> I come to my 75th year, and I have been reached. Uh, I, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I have been reached by the grace of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I, I will serve God by His grace and with His help. And now I have to understand that God is moving forward and I cannot make it about me. I cannot seek a comfort zone that I have to look beyond me to the eternal purposes of God. And what we do many times is we assign value to things that were once powerful in our lives but as we move forward, we cannot jealously hold on to that because God is trying to move us forward to do something different. We study the presence of God. The first time the presence of God was mentioned in the Bible was in Eden, and it said that the presence of God was a voice that would, would speak to Adam and to Eve. And then the presence of God moved into an ark and then it moves into a tabernacle. Then it moves into a temple. And now the presence of God is in us. So we see these movements of the kingdom. And we have to be willing to leave comfort zones and to go where God wants us to go and not assign value to things. Now I remember when I was first baptized with the Holy Spirit, I, I went to a meeting Derek Prince was teaching, and Derek Prince said at the end of his message he was going to lengthen legs. Now, this little, little Methodist girl who's newly Pentecostal had never even thought about lengthening legs. And I thought, dear God, I've got to see this. He invited us to gather around, and sure enough, somebody came up, one leg was shorter than the other, and he prayed, and that leg grew out. And then he grew out some more legs. And I was just overwhelmed by that. And I thought, oh, God, anoint me to lengthen legs. <laughs> anoint me to lengthen legs. And I went home, and people would be in that Bible study, you know, that Jean was telling you about, those women say, I'm having trouble with my marriage. I'd say, well, your legs are probably uneven. That's probably what's wrong with you. Your legs are uneven. One man, one man said, one time I can't get a job. I said, let's see if your legs are uneven. <clears throat> because that's what had been touched my heart. Do you understand that? And now I'm just assigning value to that far beyond the value that it originally had. It, it just became that, uh, I call it the warm fuzzies. We want God to give us the warm, fuzzy feeling. But how many know God's not warm and fuzzy? Sometimes God moves and it, it's uncomfortable. So Abraham had to get up and pack his tent and 
Go where he didn't know. That's uncomfortable. Going to a place he did not know. Noah had to build an ark in the middle of a desert. Uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, Moses talked to a burning bush. Now, there's the stuff of Jerry Springer. I mean, you know, that's a good Jerry Springer stuff. And, you know, if we had our way, bushes would be burning everywhere with somebody talking to us out of a bush. And we cannot, we cannot put God's anointing in a box. We cannot put the power of God in a box. Because God spoke to me in my own life that I had made anointing a feeling. And if I felt it, it was anointed. And if I didn't feel it, it wasn't anointed. It was a very judgmental attitude that our brother spoke about today. And Jean and I were invited to do a, a meeting in a little small, well, it wasn't a small town, but this guy was going to have a meeting, and he had rented a big hotel room, had sent out hundreds of brochures, and the night the meeting began, there were a total of 15 people in the room with just hundreds of chairs, and we're right down here at the front, and it just looked, it was just a small, small crowd, and Six, no, nine of the 15 had to be there. Two speakers, him, the praise team. So six people, Brother Simpson, showed up. And so the guy, you know, who spent hundreds of dollars stood at the podium, and he looked down, and then he looked at us 15, and he said, this is pitiful. Just look at this. This is pitiful. Spent all this money and all this time, and this is pitiful. You may know what I'm talking about sometimes, Tim. It's just pitiful. And, uh, you know, the music was pitiful, and he was pitiful, and I stood up to preach, and when it was over, I said to Gene, it is pitiful. It's just like he said. Second night, same 15. And he did the same thing. This is pitiful. I thought more people would come. Look, just you 15. Pitiful. And the message was pitiful. And we just go back to the motel room. We said, this is pitiful. <laughs> Third night, Gene speaks on healing is included in redemption. Gives an altar call to healing. Nobody shows up. And so we close with the testimony. This is pitiful. This is just pitiful. So Gene and I shake the dust off our feet like the Bible says. And it became the meeting that we judged all other meetings by. We would say, well, this one's bad, but it wasn't as bad as the pitiful meeting. About 15, 16 years later, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. We're in an arena in the nosebleed section up here, waiting for a speaker to come on the platform. We're not speaking. This woman walks up. And she crossed her arms, she looks at us, she said, aren't you the Evans? And we said, yes, we are. She said, I thought you were Gene and June Evans. We said, yes. She said, you won't remember me, but she said, I was in a meeting, and she called the name of that town. And she said, I know you don't remember that meeting. We said, no, we remember that meeting. <laughs> we remember that meeting. 
And she said, well, I just came over here to tell you to. That was the greatest meeting I've ever been in. And I thought, well, honey, you need to go to some meetings with me because that's the greatest one you've ever been in. And then she looked at Jean. And she said, Brother Evans, on the last night, you taught us that healing is included in redemption. And you gave an altar call. And no one came down. And she said, I saw it in your eyes. You thought you had missed God. And she said, Brother Evans, what you did not know is I was dying of cancer. I had been given only a few short weeks to live. And she said, I don't know why I didn't come down for healing. She said, I was sick. I didn't feel good. I was timid. But she said, the next time I went to the doctor for my test, I had been totally, completely healed of cancer. And she said, here I am 16 years later, alive and well, and I wanted you two to know that is the greatest meeting I have ever been in. And I quit from that day forward, judging anointing by my carnal feelings, but releasing God to do what God wants to do regardless of how I feel about it, regardless of my comfort zone. God's anointing is not here to give us a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is here to set us free, Brother Tom, to deliver us and to set the captives free. That's the kingdom purposes of God. It's not of us. It's not about us. It's not about us. Now, last but not least, we have the, the forward movement of the kingdom of God. We have the need, the provision of God. It cannot be about us. And then we have to give God time. Now, timing is in the hand of God. Time is a mystery of God, Revelation says. And it means that it's something we do not understand. We're participating in it. And even as we sit here, time is moving forward. So at lunch, we'll be older than when we came in. And there's nothing we can do about it. Time is beyond us. And Jesus, in teaching us about the kingdom of God, said in Mark chapter 4, verse 26 through 29, the kingdom of God is like a man casting seed into the ground. Now listen to this. He should sleep and rise day and night, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. And when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. So kingdom activity requires timing. The Bible teaches us this. The seed has to go into the ground. The kingdom of God is like a seed, and God works in timing. God talks about old things, new things, in the fullness of time, at the appointed time. All of those phrases are in the Bible. Even the time of the Lord's return is known only by the Father. The times and the seasons are in the hand of God. Now, we have to know that sometimes in our journeys with God and when we're caught up in 
kingdom purposes that sometimes it seems like God is not doing anything. How many of you, have, maybe you've never said it, but you just thought, well, I wish God would show up and do something. How many have ever just thought that? I just wish God would show up and do something. And we have this attitude that all this bad stuff's going on, stuff we don't like, and God's not doing anything. But I want you to know, based on the authority of Scripture, that while I'm standing here flat-footed preaching to you and you are listening to me, there is more going on for you than there is against you. Because the great wheel of God's activity is turning whether we see it or not. Whether we see it or not. And, and sometimes we look at the inactivity and we think, well, where's God? God's exactly where he's always been, seated on his throne. A woman came to a meeting, I think it was a women of the word, and she came up the prayer line and told me this horrible story, and I was trying to, you know, give her some answers. And she said, well, I got one thing to say. God just better get on a stick. And I said, honey, he's not on a stick. He sits on a throne. That's what he's on. I said, it's witches that ride around on sticks, not God. And I said, you just don't need God to be on a stick. You need him to be on the throne. And sometimes we just think God's not doing anything. And that's because we just want that warm, fuzzy feeling. Now, I've been married 55 years. And there are just a lot of days I don't feel warm and fuzzy about him. I hate to say that. He's a nice man, but he goes his way and I go my way. And we're not seeking for the warm fuzzies anymore. Gene and I did a meeting somewhere in a small town. And they just kind of put us in the only motel in town, which was the Roach Motel. Have you ever stayed in those? <laughs> so we're just there. The air conditioner doesn't work. Summertime. And we go back after doing this meeting, we're in a state of undress, and we're sitting on a little rickety sofa with a TV drinking Diet Coke, fanning, in a state of undress. And I look up at the top of the ceiling, there's a big old hole in the wall. And I said, did you look at that hole in the wall? I said, I wonder if there's one of those cameras over there taking a, a picture of us while we're in this room. And Gene looked up and he said, well, if there is, they'll plug up the hole. <laughs> he said, there's not that much to look at over here. He said, there's just not that much over here going on. Now, how many know, even though there's a lot of inactivity, we're still married? Do you understand that? We're still married. When we got married, we slept in a double bed. Now we've got a king bed, and we're both edge dwellers. <laughs> so he's on his side, I'm on my side. One night he gets in bed, and I'm in bed, and he's on his side, I'm on my side. He said, well, I forgot to kiss you goodnight. I heard that from his side of the bed. <laughs> I said, well, you did. And then there's this long pause, and Gene said, well, roll over here, and I'll give you a kiss. <laughs> I said, I'm exhausted. You roll over here. <laughs> he said, I've already cut down in my spot, and it's cold. I don't want to move. 
And I can tell I'm with the right crowd. All you old people understand this. The 20-year-olds look at me like, what is she talking about? But old people understand this. So finally, we just turned and faced each other and blew kisses. <laughs> we said, we'll get back to each other in the morning when we get out of bed. But we're still married. Not a lot of activity there, but we're still married. There is evidence we met in the center of the bed at least twice. We have two sons. And beyond that, it's none of your business what goes on in the bedroom. So we've got to get a grip. And we've got to understand that we live in one of the greatest seasons that we could live in. And that God is fulfilling His purpose in timing. Now I'm going to close with this story and then I... I'd like to just pray for you. We had spoken in the church. It probably had about a thousand members in it at the end of the service. The pastor said, uh, we always let our elders pray for you. They had about 20 elders. And the elders came and circled us around, except for one elder. And he stayed outside of the circle while the other 19 were praying for us at the end of this church service. And this one elder outside of the circle was pacing. And he, every time I'd look up, he was looking at me like this, just staring at me. Made me a little nervous. I thought, why is he looking at me? And when they finished praying, this elder who's pacing walked up to me and said, Sister Evans, the Lord says. And then he screamed at the top of his lungs, Boise, Idaho! Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. And I'm trying to look spiritual thinking, Boise, Idaho. I live in Georgia. Where in God's name is Boise, Idaho? And that's all he ever said. Shouted it three times. And then at lunch, the pastor said to me, uh, June, he's, he, sometimes he gets excited. Don't pay any attention to it. Just forget it. Well, I would have forgotten it, but Gene wouldn't let me. We'd be driving down the highway, and he would say, I hear God saying, Boise, Idaho! He'd call me from the church office and say, I prayed for a day, and the Lord said, Boise, Idaho! He'd write on my birthday cards, Boise, Idaho! And finally I said, why don't you just shut up with Boise, Idaho? And he did. He obeyed me, and that was the end of that. Years later, I mean, years later, we've forgotten about it. We're in our home. The phone rings at night. He answers, and he comes and gets me. He says, there's a woman that wants to talk to you. I said, well, who is she? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, where is she from? He said, Boise, Idaho. <laughs> and he, when he said that, my hair froze. And he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I said, Boise, Idaho. <laughs> And then what little hair he had stood up. <laughs> so now, years later, I'm on an airplane going to Boise, Idaho. I don't know how this woman got my name, but I'm going to Boise, Idaho and speak in their church. And I'm in Georgia. And I'm flying to Boise, Idaho. And I said, God, I just don't understand this. That crazy elder screaming, Boise, Idaho, and... Now all this time elapsed, 
And here I am going to Boise, Idaho. And God spoke to me, and you need to remember this, that when he speaks a word to your life, it may take years, it may take months, it may take weeks, but God never forgets what he has promised you. And he will bring it to pass in spite of death, hell, the grave, people, anything that can happen. God will fulfill his purposes in this generation. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now I'd just like to take one minute. If you're here and you know God's got his hand on you for his purposes, but things are kind of stalled out, would you just quickly stand to your feet where you are? I want to release kingdom purposes. We thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Lord, we thank you now that your power is going to generate in every person standing that there are no stalled out ventures with God. There are no stalled out ventures. Lorna, the Lord said you may feel stalled out on the highway, but God wants you to know you're not at a stall. You're not at a stall. That there is a pause, but it is not a stall. He wants you to know that, that he is working in your life. I thank you, Father, for kingdom purposes right here in this left part of this room being fulfilled, that every kingdom purpose will be fulfilled, that those who have questions, those who struggle, those whom people have interfered with, that even that shall be answered. I thank you for this middle section that the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit shall destroy every yoke of bondage against you. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, Brother James, the Lord said things are about to speed up for you. Things are about to speed up. You're not going to slow down. You're going to speed up. God said, get ready. Something is at hand for you, Brother James, and you're going to see it happen. We release kingdom purposes. Over here to my right, Lord, I stretch my hands toward every person in this section that the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be very real to each one of you. I lay my hands on you, Jonathan, and God wants you to know when you feel my hand, that is God's hand. God's hand is upon you. Let God's hand be real. Let God's hand guide you. God will hold you back. God will push you forward. Let the hand of God be very real. We thank you, Lord, for kingdom purposes. We thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for Brother Tom in Scotland that kingdom purposes will move forward, that no government, no religious systems, we just, we just support him in the great ministry that you've called him to. We, we just surround CBU with a fresh call from God, uh, uh, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit that will just move forward into this generation, affecting even the culture that is, not the culture that was, the culture that is. You will affect that culture. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Well, amen. God bless you. Thank you. My blessing to be here.